Hello, this is the Drama in Language Teaching podcast, a podcast for theater practitioners, language teachers, researchers in languages and theater, and everyone else interested in teaching and learning languages with drama and theater. My name is Stephanie Gebert. I'm the host and producer of this podcast. In this episode, which was recorded back in fall 2022, I'm interviewing Mona and Sarah from Syracuse University in New York State, USA. They will be talking about a theater project that took place in Germany, in Magdeburg. The project was called Fluchtpunkt Magdeburg, and it is a multilingual and multicultural theater project, which Mona and Sarah documented and researched. If you want to know more about their research, you can read the article which they co-authored and which I will be linking to in the show notes. And now, without much further ado, here's my interview with Sarah and Mona. Hello, Mona. Hello, Sarah. I'm glad that you could make it today um, for being guests in this podcast. And I'm going to hand over to you fairly quickly and ask you to, to introduce yourselves. Um, and then we're mainly going to talk about your project. But at, before that, of course, I would like to know who you are. So I'd um, ask you to just tell me um, who you are, where you work, and also what your connection to drama and language teaching is. Hello, my name is Mona. <clears throat> my name is Mona Eichel-Pohen. I'm assistant teaching, no, I'm associate teaching professor of German. That's a new thing. And um, in Syracuse, New York, at Syracuse University. Originally, I'm from Germany, and my connection to drama is I studied Darstellende Spiel performing arts in Hanover as an additional subject to be a high school teacher. And then never taught that, but went into teaching in higher education. Yeah, Sarah. Hi, I'm Sarah. Um, I'm a student at Syracuse University studying citizenship and civic engagement, sociology and German. Um, I am originally from the US and my connection to um, theater and language teaching is mostly with language teaching. I did theater in high school, but um, I, since being at Syracuse from my fifth year, um, I have taught English to refugee students in Syracuse um, all over Syracuse, so yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, and then I would immediately, immediately lead up to um, talking about the project. So can you tell me um, what it, this is about? Can you sum it up briefly? Um, if that's possible to sum it up briefly because I think it's quite complex actually. Yeah, so this project started as um, initially interest from both of us on a project called Flushpunk Magdeburg, um, which is a theater group working with refugee and German students in Magdeburg. And um, our idea was, how can we look at theater as a medium through which language can be acquired and taught, as well as um, integration to be led and um, for self-expression to be demonstrated? Mm -hmm. That was really brief, I would say. That was, yeah, very oh. concise. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how did this, this collaboration between you and the theatre in, in Magdeburg come about? Takes a little bit longer, I guess. So um, one of the facilitators of Fluchtpunkt Magdeburg um, was a high school student and he had the same mentor 
because he was a high school student in the school where I did my teacher's training a few years later and we had the same mentor. So um, Jochen Gehle went to um, Ernst Busch and has become a, an actor and I did my um, Darstellende Spiel training in Hanover because of the same mentor and that's how we, we met through this mentor and um, have been vaguely in touch for the last 20 years. 20 years ago, we did a project together where I taught Der Besuch der Alten Dame, the visit by Dürrenmatt and Jochen, who had played the role, a, a role in there, um, came to class and talked about his role in the class that I taught. That was our first project. And then we didn't do anything for 20 years. And then um, I, I saw on Facebook that they are doing Fluchtpunkt Magdeburg. And I was teaching a class with Sarah in it at that time. And we connected with them and just exchanged pictures and saying, hey, we think of you, cool, you're doing this. We are learning German as well here. Um, that was the in, that was the initial start. And they stopped, Fluchtpunkt Magdeburg stopped with the pandemic, like so many other things. Um, and we talked about how this project was so meaningful and insightful that it would make sense to document it. Um, and it would make sense to document it from the outside because we were not really involved with it. And since Syracuse has the source grant that Sarah will be telling more about it in a moment, we were able to send Sarah to Germany and interview people, which I didn't have to do because of the personal connections to, to Jochen. And um, that's what we did. We got the grant and Sarah went, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it grew out of a personal connection into yeah. a research project. Mm -hmm. And I think um, it all grew about the fact that um, Jochen and I have similar ideas about theater and, and how meaningful it can be beyond the stage, yeah. And you, you did mention source, which is probably not something that our listeners would be familiar with. So could you explain what, what this is? Yeah, source is the Syracuse Office of Undergraduate Research and Creative Engagement. And it's just an office that funds research projects at Syracuse University, mostly for undergraduate students. And it's just a really great place where you can get support for doing research starting out. Yeah, which is kind of unusual, at least in Germany. I don't know many undergraduate research funding bodies at all. So I think that... I think undergrad research is the thing right now to do. And fortunately, Syracuse decided yeah, to make that their thing. Um, and the source team is amazing supporting, supporting people, answering questions, helping us with the IRB, like the, <laughs> the formalities of being able to do research, which was quite a big deal. And then getting all the paperwork to travel in a pandemic and interview people in a pandemic that was, yeah, they were very supportive. Yeah. And in your um, in the article that you you published, um, you speak about this being an appreciative inquiry. That was a term I had not encountered before. Um, could you explain what that is? Well, it comes from the business world, and it's um, an approach where you focus on the strengths and not the negative aspects of things. To um, yeah, to be able to develop ideas for the future. Um, appreciative inquiry in everyday life means you encounter people and um, you give them the freedom to speak about what they want to speak about and you do not pick on that, this went wrong and that was a horrible thing. 
we mentioned things in the article that did not work because we felt that was um, were very teachable moments. Um, but overall, we thought it would make more sense for our work and for other people to read it if if it had this hope and optimism in it. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, because I didn't exactly know where it came from. Does, does it come from the social sciences? But you said it actually comes from business. Mm, that's yeah. very, very interesting. It's interesting, right? And, and it's a good approach to the humanities, I think. And the, the fundamental question is what works, what's working? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and then I'll gonna be um, asking you a bit more about the, the project, like what was in the project. Um, so the, the topics that this Fluchtpunkt um, or Theaterfluchtpunkt, is that the correct? Fluchtpunkt, um, Fluchtpunkt Magdeburg, um, how they work. And, and you did mention that, because I mean, there is there has been sort of like a, a wave of uh, almost refugee theater also in Germany. I know of a couple of projects because obviously it, it has been a topic that sort of came to well, public, um, into the public mind very strongly in 2015 and has been, I mean, has been there ever since basically with new wars, new refugees. Um, so there have been various various projects, but what I found interesting about your project was that it was not biographical, so it's not newly arrived refugees telling their story through theater, but you wrote that it was also about migration in general and also about migration within Germany, which I found very interesting. Um, could you say something about that? Do you? Um, I can start. In the yeah, you start. Okay, so what, what really stuck out to me about this and, and knowing a little bit but not a whole ton about migration within Germany or like in Germany um, was that the theater piece that they put on and like that, that was written and was um, um, conducted conducted yep. I'm sorry um, <laughs> um, uh, so, so sorry um, <laughs> that's totally fine that's like totally fine we do it all the time <laughs> Um, I'll start over. So what struck me as very interesting about this project was that the piece that they wrote and, wrote and conducted, um, one on the outside could hear it and say, oh, that's about 2015, about someone coming from Syria to Germany, where in reality that was um, based on off of like migration in the what years were they? Well, after the, in, after after the, the second, second World War. After the Second yeah. World War. Um, but it's the, the a similar experience is that it, it's a repeating process over and over again. And this is not something that's going to stop. And I think that's really important to focus on and how can we help with language, going back to our, the topic of our project, how can we help people gain language skills like in German or how can we help them integrate into their new community? Yeah, and I think what I should add, so between the idea of let's do theater for the youth refugees and actually starting the project there were a lot of conversations about um, who's concerned or who's who's who has migration experience it's not it's not only people from Afghanistan or Syria but it's also our parents our grandparents who 
grew up in Silesia or fled as small children. Um, but it's also the people who try to get out of the GDR and go to the West to have experience. So there were a lot of conversations about that experience. And then the facilitators decided um, to make that the general theme and not just the recent thing, because it would connect more generations and it would connect the local people and the people with recent flight experience. Yeah, I found that quite interesting because I mean, I was, I volunteered for a little bit in a, like one of the first, I think in 2015, one of the, I mean, I, there were surely projects in that direction before that, but one of the first projects um, with Syrian refugees um, and there, I did have the feeling that, yeah, it's, uh, I don't share in that experience um, because it was about their experience. Um, even though I do know that, for example, my mother has experience as a refugee sort of fleeing from the Eastern part of Germany. Um, but that project was very much about focusing on the, on the new refugees, so to speak. And then that's why I found your pro your pro other project you, you examined um, so remarkable because yeah, really, the, the connections um, are there a lot, a lot strong, a lot, a lot stronger. I think so. It's not just we try to help them, but actually, we're not so different. Exactly, and I think their overall motto, like a term we hold from everyone all the time, was at eye level, no, auf Augenhöhe, at eye level, and having this shared experience of flight as somebody whose parents. Like, for example, my parents um, always had bread in the freezer until the freezer was full because they had hunger and flight experiences. And um, other people, especially at the start of the pandemic, then later on said, yeah, they behaved oddly because they that is in them or that's part of the family heritage to do that. So what it does, I think, is creating something that connects all of them, no matter where they came from and no matter what age, generation or gender they were. So... I think that was really smart to make that the topic and not just the past. You are a refugee. Tell me your story that we didn't. Yeah, I mean, not to condemn these projects, but it's yeah. it's a wider approach that 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 um, was done in, in your project. Springs from the humility that, for example, I migrated because I wanted to migrate in the United States. Right, um, I wasn't forced to, and. Um, I think the humility it displays that nobody said we are sorry because like it, it makes you at a lower level because you do not speak German, but you have this experience, so you must be traumatized. And um, that was not the foundation of the project. And mm -hmm. I think that was very constructive in the integration process overall. Yeah. And what I found also interesting reading your article, which I read it in German actually, but it seemed to me that he, the the facilitators were employing some kind of approach that might be called the mantle of the expert uh, approach in the English uh, speaking yeah. drama and education scene. Can I say, I think I have a lot to say about that. Yeah. So the mantle of expert concept is the concept by Dorothy Heathcote, right? And mm, that is yeah, I have mental of expert approaches that Heathcote said to children, you are the expert now to um, pretend play. And you are the expert in pretend play. And that is not the approach they took, but they mm -hmm. said, 
you have certain expertise and experience that are unique um but we we are not willing like you you do not have to spill and put that into words and perform your personal experience on on stage because there might be so much trauma involved or it might not but the facilitator said they were not psychologists and psychotherapists and they said we can well how do we deal with that when we do not how know how to deal with it so why don't they use their expertise because they are experts already they really mm -hmm. are so they don't have to go off and do they research the but they already are other experts and then aestheticize like distill it and aestheticize what they have in common with others mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay so, thank you for explaining because uh, i wasn't entirely sure if it's yeah. a, a the same I approach also, or something different yeah. yeah i also look deeply into this um experten theater from oh my goodness rimini protocol and I'm mm -hmm. so I looked if, if it was similar to that, but what Rimini does, it puts people with expertise on stage and they actually do display and show and perform their own experience. So that is not what they did either. It is something in between. Mm -hmm. um, and we discussed this a lot and, and one of the outcomes of that, and that's actually not in the, I think that's mentioned in the paper as well, is that in a future project, they would even say you have a certain expertise and you can interview people more interview them with other expertise um and distill even more out of that and that makes you an actual expert mm -hmm. okay they mm -hmm. parts, but they didn't they didn't plan it that way it just happened but now that they reflected with us on as they said that would be actually a neat approach that we if we work with people who need to learn German and we um, can bring them to a point where they can interview other as experts can interview other experts. Then we have them on a level where um, yeah, they where they can treat their own experience with more emotional distance and turn that into art instead of showing the raw personal emotions. Mm -hmm. but it's like like a screen or a filter or a, like a soft safety net i find it still difficult to put that into mm -hmm. words yeah yeah and and there is another concept like the um what is this uh, the the playback theater it's not playback. yeah that was what i was going to it's ask not, about not playback theater either because playback theater um the people with the experience explain to others and the others perform that experience so it isn't yeah that that's playback theater yeah in between all of that which okay. i find beautiful but i have no so it's a unique uh, mix of approaches i basically. think i think they need to find a name for it yeah <laughs> i mean what it all has seems to have in common with the other approaches mentioned with playback theater or with mantle of the expert is is trying to empower everyone yeah yeah, definitely. Um, and I did want to ask you, um, um, yeah, about playback theater, um, because you said it's it's not really playback theater, but how is it similar to playback theater? Because you said, yes, playback theater, someone tells their experiences and the playback theater group plays it back to them mm -hmm. um, to honor their stories and to tell them that they were listened to. Um, but but what kind of 
form or variation of that did they use in Fluchtpunkt Magdeburg? I think the, the goal of a playback theater is healing. Like that's a predominant goal in, in therapy and that's not the predominant goal of Fluchtpunkt Magdeburg, right? That would be, oh my goodness, that would be a claim. Um, I, I believe Fluchtpunkt Magdeburg had a healing effect on many levels, including myself. I would say you too, right? Yeah. Um, but um, maybe from the point of view of the audience, it might look a lot like playback theater, except that the experts are not only experts in practice, but also in theory. And then I, I keep using this word distilling, right? And distill was what is coming out of that. And then are able to write the plays and perform them themselves. Is that a good explanation? I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. I need to do more research on this, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it would be interesting to see sort of where it can be located in sort of on the in the like mm -hmm. where you have oh I can't think of oh, I have, it, I have, I have a sections playback theater is is looking or is seeking healing I think this concept is seeking empowerment and those certainly overlap mm -hmm. without a psychological claim of healing okay okay yeah that yeah. yeah. Sounds like it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, um, and maybe we should explain a little more, more about the empowerment between the first play and the mm -hmm. second play. So the second play is more or less a parody or a satire on um, the, the formal integration approach the German government pursues like what defines a German you can answer the 300 questions from the questionnaire mm -hmm. and so you said the first one was fairly serious and the second play was fairly comedic um yeah sometimes bitter very yeah satirical satirical yeah but definitely playing with um the official concept of integration and um, you also wrote that it was the participants who, who asked for that Exactly. And I would see that as a sign of empowerment that they own this concept so much already that they can ironize, ironize it or yeah, make, <laughs> make, make fun of it and, um, and turn that around. Um, and yeah, maybe that goes, goes hand in hand with, with, with that um, of this using irony and, and owning it um, because you, you do ask about the aestheticizing um so that by turning into into an aesthetic experience um is how they worked with it and that this provided a safe space um could you comment about that i think you already did a bit because you said the facilitators were of, of course not not therapists um and that's why they chose this this way um, yeah, I, I would be interested in sort of the, the aesthetic <laughs> because, um, yeah, how was that um, employed? I mean, did they, did they say, oh, it's, it's gotta be, it's gotta fulfill certain artistic aspirations 
or was that not as obvious as that? I guess probably not, but. Yeah, so I, honestly, this is just my perspective from the, the, the project is that there was no like big expectation of how it had to look aesthetically to the, to who people were watching. And I think it was more about the process and about the, what, what did we learn while doing this and how can we learn from it? Um, and I think, you know, and that wasn't maybe the whole goal of it, but it definitely was part of it. And I think the, the beautiful aspect was that it was more about just not, sorry, it was less about just putting on a theater project and more about how can we build community with these, these people who have gone through so much and we're not asking them to tell their stories. We're not asking them to say, here is what I've gone through. Like, here is what I've lived through. And here's why I feel this way. It was more like, we're going to come together. We're going to give you something to do. We're going to give you something that will be fun. Mm. And hopefully through doing this, we'll create a level of comfortability that you'll feel comfortable communicating with us and learning new language skills. And really on a basic sense, just building friendship. I mean, um, someone that we interviewed was like, I'm still in contact with everyone that I, you know, went through this project with. And it was just a very beautiful, like, sentiment of, like, this was more than just a temporary project. This is something that built connections and inspired people to go on to certain career fields mm -hmm. and studying. So it definitely made an impact on various careers in a good way. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. that's part. But I would like to add something to that as well. Um, like uh, aesthetics. So the facilitators were two people, um, Jochen Gehle as an actor and Lena Winkelwenke as, um, as a dance pedagogue. And um, in the beginning, at the beginning when the German language skills of the newly arrived people were not that high, they did a lot of body work and they did a lot through theater and choreic movements to find, yeah, to find commonalities. And out of those concepts, um, like I would say in, in all three plays, when you see them and they, they also made this movie that combines all the, the highlights of all the three plays, you see this nonverbal aesthetic impact of it. Like how do we deal with space? How do we deal with our bodies and each other and repetition? Which, which I think, like at some point I said, a lot of these choreographic moments remind me of um, Robert Wilson, like very slowly, but very accurate and very, yeah, giving you the time to look at it and reflect at it while the movement is still going on. I think, especially in the first third of the Fluchtpunkt movie that comes out a lot. And the last part again as well, yeah. So, so it seemed like the expertise of the dance pedagogue definitely added another um, layer to this project, which not every project has, I guess. Yes, and I think they were fortunate that they started the project with it because before they could have complex conversations, they had their complex bodies to function with each other in the same room. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of created its own language maybe. Mm -hmm. That and they were sharing before they shared the German language. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that gives me an idea what is meant by aestheticizing, aesthetisierung der Erfahrungen. So making an aesthetic product out of 
these experiences. Mm -hmm. And I think we already touched on it by talking about empowerment, by talking about being on eye level. Um, so in your article, there's also a section on, on power. Um, and I'm asking about that because in my last podcast uh, with, with Anke and Celia, we talked a lot about power, power differentials and so on, and how that can make um, dealing with certain topics in a drama-based classroom tricky. I mean, this was not a classroom, so it was a different, a different context, but still uh, power comes into it. Um, can, can you maybe um, share a bit about what you, what you wrote in that section? Um, well, I said this earlier, this concept of working of working at eye level, every, every participant mentioned that. And I think we wrote that in the paper as well. Um, and they actually meant that. So the um, so participants would come and say, oh, for the next play, I have this and that idea, and can we do it like this? And that was accepted. There was not a director who said, my goal for the next play is this and that, but they developed that collaboratively. Um, of course, that took a lot of time. And every decision they took was made tr as transparent as possible. Um, when they ran into financial troubles where um, funding, the new funding would not be available for even for the current production, it was cut off in the middle of the third, on the work of the third piece. Um, they made that transparent to everyone and that made it more relatable and shareable and they were easier, they had, I think, an easier time to deal with that then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, so because uh, yeah, because they were informed and they were not just receiving exactly. something from somebody. Yeah, and I think the whole idea was even to have it to have it go that way and see where it would take them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's actually the beauty I see, especially when I when I watch the movie as. Um, is that you see this this growth of the young people from very physical play to ironic to uh, the last play is about what will our future be like will it will it be grim or is there hope for us in the future and the teenagers themselves decided these topics and not the facilitators mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and yeah, you, you, you did also uh, touch on, because this is sort of the, the focus of this podcast, um, the language part, um, you mentioned multilingualism um, in, in the project. Um, could you talk about that a bit? Because I think it ties in with this idea of being on eye level, um, not one being the higher and the other one being the lower, but several languages. So it was not just, okay, we do theater in German, but it was more than that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so they, when they wrote these pieces, they were originally written in German, but they were translated to English as well as um, Arabic. And so that gave everyone a chance to kind of not only practice what language skills they had, but also to demonstrate that, hey, I might struggle in this language, but I have proficiency in other languages. Like I'm not limited by my ability to speak one language. And I think when I was doing the interviews, one thing that really struck me was that those that, that did not speak German as their, their native language, um, 
you know, it was, it was something that I could understand that it was something that we could bond over, um, that there was miscommunication, but not in a bad sense in more of a, we were both learning at the same time. And I think that that's probably something that they also experienced within this theater project is that, um, they, one story everyone told was that at the beginning they used this this dictionary with little pictures in, and that was how they communicated. And so I think this project focused heavily on how can we learn to communicate without directly using language? And how can we learn to appreciate the fact that other people speak languages that we might not know, but that we can still appreciate? And I think that was really important. Mm -hmm. If I may add to that. Um, the first play, they performed in all three languages, Arabic, English, you said that, right? Arabic, English, and German. Um, so they would play a scene and you would hear a voiceover first in Arabic, then in English, and then in German. Um, and they did it on purpose on that way to give the, um, and the, the premiere was in front of a predominantly German-speaking audience. And the effect was that the audience had to aushalten, like they had to be able to deal with it, the deal with the fact that they couldn't understand. Be patient. So, yeah, so they were in the role of the refugees coming to Germany and not understanding. And then the second time would be in English, so most people would be kind of familiar with it, and then in German. So what I find so smart about it is that the audience has to go through these motions of I don't know what's going on. Oh, I get a little bit. Oh, now I get it. Um, like, like, but in a very condensed way, the young people who learned German were able to make fun about German and in German at some point. Yeah. But yeah, so dealing with with communication problems, miscommunication. But that was um, part of the project, but it was not necessarily negative. No, it was actually reason for a lot of laughter and fun yeah when nobody got anything <laughs> yeah um that's at least what they told us and um there was one more thing about multilingualism um yeah the the appreciation um of the facilitators that they had to trust everyone like virtually nobody spoke arabic except the people with a fresh migration background and um so then when they translated the texts from English to Arabic or German or in whichever way they did it, they had to trust that these translations were correct because nobody had the ability to check it. And I think um, translation software that we use now was not that much developed seven years ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. so another part of handing over power yeah, working at eye level and having mm -hmm. having to give over power and mm -hmm. accept that you do not have it all in your hands. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, uh, staying a little bit with with the language aspect, um, you um, also mentioned in your in your paper that because you already said who the facilitators were, but they were not German language coaches, um, not linguists or, or anything. Um, and of course, my perspective in this podcast is mainly um, for language teachers, um, but still you said it was about building community, about getting familiar with the German language, but what would you say? Do you think it would have been beneficial to have an additional German language coaching person? 
Yeah, what, what surprised me a lot in uh, the Witten project fabric in North Rhine-Westphalia, they did something similar with um, uh, uh, training adults mm -hmm. three times a week through theater. And they had this mixture of um, theater people and language education cadres three times a week. So they would do a lot of performative work. And at the end of each meeting, they would have 20 minutes of summarizing and distilling and saying, so I heard this today, but actually that is how you say it in German. And next time we focus a little bit more on that. So it wasn't- so explicit language yeah, focus yeah, for like, party. Like okay. What they call reflective phases at the end. So, um, and that seemed to work pretty well, but I guess there was no, no funding for, for it. And, and then in the nick of time, they had to start the project, maybe not the awareness that that could be an option, but maybe that's different in the future. So it was not the concept, but it just wasn't an option for yes, and basically we heard, like, financial reasons. There was a project in the Netherlands conducted by Desmet, Sophie Desmet, uh, who worked with refugees and they had funding for translators at the beginning of the first three months, they had translators in the room to, to make communication possible on a faster degree. And they didn't have that, didn't have that in Magdeburg, not at all. And they, at some points they said they wish they had had that, mm -hmm. at least mm -hmm. initially for a few sessions. But I almost argue that it, okay. it was, no, 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 I, oh, I like fully understand. But I also think it was very important to be able to, like you were saying earlier, Kerber Bewegung and body movement mm -hmm. and being able to communicate, not just using language, I think, without having a translator force them to do this more. And I think that created a really a unique bond between the participants and the, the um, directors, mm -hmm. I guess you would say. Yeah. I think that was really like unique to this project. But I, I do agree that like having yeah. a translator maybe for the first few sessions yeah. would have been helpful. But I also agree with you because not having a translator eliminates another bur uh, barrier or mm -hmm. the moment, right? And then you have this time lag that takes direct emotions to a halt when you have to translate the things again. Yeah, it, so yeah. Right. yeah, it's almost like less stress. I, as someone who was learning German, if I knew I had someone in the room who was constantly like going to be talking, like mm -hmm. thinking like, oh, that's not how you say that. That's not how you say that. Then I would feel a lot less comfortable trying out my, my language skills. So I think that also helped a lot, but that's just my perception. Yeah, so there <laughs> might be <laughs> pros and cons, yeah. Obviously, mm -hmm. I was just interested to yeah to to hear what 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 how it came about and yeah if if they would have thought it helpful to have a language person in there um, yeah so kind of potential but also might take away some of the special uh, potential that this project had so yeah um, and I wanted to um, ask two yeah two more. Two more questions, but there might be questions you might have a lot just to say on. Um, you 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 quoted um, Conquergood. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, that um, this the outcomes of this project are not necessarily measurable, and they 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 they're not really open for sort of administration. So they're not. No, not customizable. They're not, they're not commodi commodities. Mm -hmm. um, 
and which is of course very typical for for art space projects that you can't really measure success very easily um, or that you can't put them into boxes very easily uh, but on the other hand you also did mention fun funding already um, and for making projects like this sustainable in the long run you do need funding um, can you can you comment a bit on what the funding for this project was and if there are chances for it to to receive funding in the future mm -hmm. um, so, there, so, so it was funded uh, for a couple of years it was funded for about a little bit more than two years by the um, state of Sachsen, Sachsen-Anhalt, Sachsen-Anhalt, um, plus people who just donated money or volunteered, so they gave their time. Um, and that was a good thing, and it was facilitated through Lanze, the Landeszentrale für Freies Theater Sachsen-Anhalt. Okay. Um, and that was called Theater Pädagogisches Modellprojekt, so Theater Pädagogical Model project and they had several project running this was just one of them and it's the only it was the only one of its kind at that time um and did the funding come from i don't know budgets related to the current situation um of the situation okay many migrants refugees coming at that time or was it sort of regular regular funds that would be available at any time because I, for example, I know with, with, with the pandemic, um, extra yeah. funds have been made available, for example, to help this was for school students. And this was for, before the pandemic. And I am not 100% sure um, it was from the Kultusministerium. And then there was an administrative change. So the ministerium situation in itself changed. Um, and that contributed to the end of the funding. But what I think would but it seem to be regular arts funding, so not tied into the no, refugee situation. No, no, it was no specific refugee-based pot that it came from. No. And what I keep thinking, that is my personal thought, is um maybe for the future, tying it in to research similar like the beauty of the research we were able to do is we is we heard about them but we didn't interact with them during the project project phase but did this did our research retrospectively and interview base so i think we are as objective as you can be um in in that and just doing this documentation and take what we learn together and offer as a concept for the future that we hope, that's actually the hope behind the whole thing, we hope might be an incentive for official positions or of official funding positions to, yeah, to be willing to fund such projects. Um, not as a, as a short term, because we think it would make sense to do this, this longer term now, these young people are integrated in, in the German society, but it's 2022, so we have a new wave of refugees coming in. But what about the generation of guest workers that is kind of, I mean, in, in German literature, it's more and more a topic now, but it's also retrospectively. Um, but I think they deserve more presence in, in the German culture than they are getting right now. So in fact, you could make this, uh, like a continuously running project. Mm -hmm. 
could be like established as something but, permanent. Then, yes, mm -hmm. yes. But that would mean that we accept the fact that Germany is an immigrant nation. I mean, we are that now. When I was young, that was not accepted. Um, but it would not only accept that, it would actually say, and that is a good thing. Mm -hmm. And we we welcome that in the arts. Yeah. In the arts, and we we have we have funding available for it, um, and to combine these two topics, yes. um, migration and artistic expression, mm -hmm. and language, and language, yeah. mm -hmm. all of, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because you, you because you did say through some change the the funding was was cut short, um, so they just. Mm -hmm. They, but they did finish it with a lot of goodwill and volunteers and very engaged people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because um, the the would and unless Sarah, unless you wanted to comment on something more, no, okay, because that would lead me into my 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 last question. Um, so on the one on the one hand, I guess it was fortunate that it, it was not a school setting or university setting; that it was a free setting, um, so that there was time and uh, the openness to try things out and to be on eye level. Um, on the other hand, the funding was a bit precarious. Um, if we look at this um, from the perspective of someone who who is in a university or in a school context, um, are the experiences made in that project also relevant for people who, who teach in more high pressure environments? Or is it just simply different? Um, so would you say there's something that could be transferred to sort of our teaching environments? Do you want to, because you're a student, at Syracuse, could you see how something like that would have a place? Because I can also, I mean, I'm a, I'm a teacher and I'm also a theater facilitator. And I know that there is a big difference between having like an extracurricular theater group and um, using drama-based teaching in my regular classes. Uh, so that there is definitely a difference of the power, the whole power aspect. Uh, I can be much more on an equal footing with my participants if it's if there's no grade at the end and no no exam at the end um, than if it's part of a regular class and I mean I've heard that of course it's it's kind of a, a, a trivial idea that of course graded and uh, assessed uh, situations are different from sort of extracurricular situations but still I think it comes up again and again with colleagues and with our community. So I have two examples, but I really want to know what you think of them. So coming back to Anke Stöver-Blahak, right? Um, she, I think she retired just right this now. This summer, yeah. yeah mm -hmm. like this week, like she's not returning in October. Um, and I was able to visit her in May and she took me along to one of her classes. And on that day, they went to the um, Ballhaus in Hannover, which is a theater place and they had a session with a theater pedagogue and they practiced scenes they had written in German. So students who were learning German with a theater pedagogue. So actually some work like that is being conducted in Germany. And in Syracuse, we have um, a group that's called the first year players. So first year students have 
it's a sort is it a sort of club i'm not really sure is it a sort of club but it's students who come together and develop um, uh, perform a play at the end of the first semester and i do not think there's a lot of hierarchy i think it's the students themselves who devise the whole thing and it's it's great however there are not a lot of international students in it because yeah why the question is why do they feel not invited are they too shy because they think that German, their english is too raw that they have to speak as a new language here um that is interesting that is something i would like to learn more about too i'm glad we have the first year players but could that be more um but my overall answer to that is the third thing is actually a question back like is it really good that we have this high pressure environments or isn't the fact that a project like this that a campus would benefit from especially an international campus that wants to be inclusive um wouldn't they have to reflect if this high pressure is maybe too much high pressure or all this these time constraints are maybe not the best concept to deal with but this comes from my, my privilege of studying in germany in the 90s when you didn't have to be finished after eight semesters and maybe that's important to know that my own experience with theater was only possible because i didn't have i studied 11 semesters not eight and um i didn't have to pay for it because i studied in germany as a german yeah. sarah your thoughts so i think um you brought up the uh, idea of whether it would comparing like a classroom situation versus like a, like a voluntary sort of club outside of the school. And I think it has a lot to do with like the willingness of participants to take part in the activities. Unfortunately, in a school setting, you're kind of, I don't want to say forced, but you have no choice. You, you're there to, you know, you have to enroll in this class, you have to take it. Whereas in a in a club, if you could somehow do like we have um, English as a second language courses here for in, especially for international students who come here, and it's like every student has to take um, the first year forum, and then um, like uh, students who speak English as their like native language have to take two writing courses, and students who don't have to take these English as second language courses like for two levels, and I think perhaps there is a space there to incorporate theater or theater work within teaching English as a second mm -hmm. language, because maybe in a, an environment of peers who are going through similar things, it might be a better environment. And then you can also pull, there are people who are willing to do this. I, um, I was a, what is it called? I did like a little peer group of international students and we did, oh, English conversation. <laughs> Um, and I was a leader for that. And there are people out there I know who speak English as their native language or speak it very well and would be willing to be like help either do facilitation or be right there with students doing the theater as well. So I think there's definitely space for it. I think it has to be sort of though a voluntary thing because otherwise it might not be as impactful as like a classroom situation. And the beauty of Fluchtpunkt Magdeburg was that it was 50% local high school students and 50% um, people with fresh refugee background. Um, so there was a balance in, in, in quantity, in, mm -hmm. in quality, I, I do not know, but in, in a balance in quantity. Um, 
and no side was dominating no. the other. And mm. I don't know if even legally on an American campus, you could say, okay, international students go here and local students oh. go here. No, I don't, I don't think that, I don't think that would be possible. But I always think, especially with the first year forum, that is a something in Syracuse where the first year students mm -hmm. take, take a certain course together. Um, that would be something to do something similar. It could be on a much smaller scale than Fluchtpunkt Magdeburg. I mean, it doesn't have to be that scale, right? Yeah, so it could be on a smaller scale. Um, I wish we could hire Anke and teach us her concept, right? That would be mm -hmm. great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, so you would say that might be a place for a similar project in the university context, um, but not in a, in a classical teaching context, so more in an extracurricular context. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, okay, and it's good to hear that um, you're, you're continuing to, to cooperate um, with other, yeah, drama in education, drama and language people. Um, are there any future uh, co connections, collaborations with Fluchtpunkt Magdeburg um, more concretely? Well, Fluchtpunkt Magdeburg ceased to exist with a Okay. Right? So they made this movie um, and maybe that's important to mention as well that they made the movie to share with their families all over the world. Um, so it has really global relevance, the whole project. Um, so they, as a group, do not exist anymore. Um, but they could serve as an example for other. Still interested in in being part of such groups, or even um, that that is a sentence that still moves me the most. That one of the refugee people said, and that's in the in the um, article as well. Like I now I can help other people. Now I can I could technically start a theater group and welcome oh, others and introduce others. Yeah, yeah. In 2022 um, is amazing. Um, I can only say it has transformed my work a lot. Later today, we will have a Ukrainian refugee who is now who is an actress now from Kiev, now located in Berlin, come and speak to the German club with us. So that's one part. Um, Jochen and I will plan to work on on a project next year or the year after um tied to language teaching and theater yeah and your future you should talk about your future <laughs> um after i graduate i eventually i want i want to do a few different things but would like to continue working with refugee youth specifically um whether that's in germany or here in the us um doing youth programming or teaching english or whatever native language I would be wherever mm -hmm. German or English. So I will take what I learned from this project, which is certainly a lot, and hopefully implement it future in my future goals. So there's definitely sustainability of the project in, in different ways. Okay, and that's it for this episode of the podcast. Check out the show notes for more information and stay tuned for hopefully more podcast episodes to follow soon. Take care. Bye-bye.